Hello, everyone. It is Thursday. I believe this is our 32nd MSP initiative session. Welcoming today, uh, Josh Preston. I've actually known Josh since, what, 2010, 2011, many IT nations ago. Uh, Josh, how you doing? Yeah. Very good. How about you? <laughs> Do it, doing all right. At least the weather's, you know, it's summertime. You know, it's not as depressing inside, you know, and outside now, a little bit more fresh air. You're based out of where? I'm in Ohio at the moment. My team is mostly out of Florida. We have um, some in Alabama and California as well. Okay, so you're spread out, which is, you know, cool, like like a lot of others. So, Ohio, um, how are things been? How's 2020 treated you? I know coronavirus is like, you know, I feel like we've, I almost want to delete that from the English vocabulary, but how have things been for 2020 in general? I think 2020 for most people has been a stressful year um, in many regards. It's uh, exhausting. 2020, I think everybody's ready to be part of the past. However, um, 2020 um, has given at least my business and many businesses that I work with an opportunity to focus on improving and on internal processes and things like that. So I think a lot of people used... Um, the pandemic as an opportunity to uh, thrive for when this ends. So sure. and we've had a lot Fair of success enough. this year. Well, that's good. Bye. So why don't you, why don't you get for people who don't know who you are and they weren't as lucky as me to run into you way back when, why don't you give people a little bit of a background yourself, maybe like your professional journey to like how we get to today. Uh, so that everybody understands kind of the context of our conversation today. Um, Cool, cool. So I think it was around 16 years ago, I worked at a managed services provider as a um, service manager. So I was involved with the engineering team and the help desk and the knock, and I was responsible for the RMM to a certain extent or ensuring the team used it um, was what I was responsible for there. We implemented lab tech as it was called at the time um, back in its early infancy. And we had a lot of success with it and we gained a lot of business with it. And I became a huge fan fanboy for the product. I loved it so much that I had to work for the company. So I, um, on good terms with um, uh, the managed services business that I was working with in Columbus, I shifted and moved to Florida and began to work for LabTech Software instead. Um, when I, and I worked for them in a few different roles until they were acquired by ConnectWise, where I worked with ConnectWise in a few different roles. And um, after my journey there, I learned a lot. I wanted to do a lot more with um, the managed services community. So I started LT Ninja and that was about four to five years ago. And our focus with LT Ninja was on um, MSP's RMM, ensuring they were getting the most out of lab tech or ConnectWise Automate and ensuring they were automating the appropriate things and using the appropriate services to dilute, to provide, to be competitive in their space and to be efficient as well so that they could have good profits on their contracts as well. No, fair enough. So let's let's zoom out. Now that we've gotten that out, thank you very much. Now everybody understands, you know, that uh, Josh has been through the trench, right? He crossed the, the train tracks to the vendor side for a while, and now he's like helping, you know, people understand how to get the most out of their tools. So, but let's zoom out for a second, Josh. A lot of time has passed in technology land, and we know like dog years, tech years are even worse. Yep. Is the RMM 
dated now, right? Like, let's zoom back to 2010. Like, Kaseya was pretty much, you know, the man. Labtech was still very new. Obviously, there was Enable before SolarWinds bought them. There was GFI. There was a bunch of people there that, you know, obviously these platforms have all changed hands a couple times now, I feel. But does the concept of an RMM still hold true today with everything being cloud? You hear, you know, Windows Virtual Desktop, you hear Office 365, you hear Amazon. Like, I feel, is RMM now long in the tooth? What do you think? Give me, give me your opinion. Well, I don't believe it's going by the wayside. And if you use an RMM the proper way, you end up providing higher end technology services as opposed to um, ignoring the available data that comes to you and is available through an RMM. Um, so when you take, like for instance, like for security as an example, so one MSV that we work with, um, one of their clients was unfortunately compromised with ransomware. And in our review of that, we found that ransomware was deployed with VirtualBox and um, basically a, a virtual box was stood up on the machine and then um, which had kernel level access and it circumvented AV and everything else and um, ransomed the machine. So an MSP that's focused on improving and focused on learning from the things that their clients experience, they came to me immediately following and they were like, hey, we don't want this to happen to any of our other clients. Let's get a virtual box monitor and shut it down before it starts the next time. So of course we built a uh, monitor in our remote monitoring and management platform that detects VirtualBox standing up and closes it before it has an opportunity to encrypt or ransom anything. I'm gonna tell you right now, I mean, obviously everyone's heard of ransomware. Unfortunately, a lot of people have dealt with it. Good, probably mostly bad. I learned the concept of what a ransomware negotiator is this year. Um, that was interesting. That might be a cool line of business to get into these days. Uh, but it, I never considered a virtual like VMware workstation or virtual box or the hypervisor component being the back door into getting ransomware to the root operating system. That's an interesting angle. Um, well, that's, it surprised hey, us as well. <laughs> they do new things all the yeah. time. But that's what we got to be is on our toes, always evolving and always learning from what we experience. And in RMM, what that does is now none of their other clients can have that same problem again because they learned and they did something about it inside their tool. So now their service offering is better and their risks are lower. Fair, fair. So what do you tell people who tell to say that the RMM, like, listen, everybody's dabbled in one version or another, right? There's newer ones that have popped up onto the scene too, right? Synchro is kind of popular, stuff like that. A lot of people say that it's too complicated unless you have somebody that is a, a basically a scripting or coding guy uh, on staff to actually get the value out of it. Meaning like the core shell, right? The core car that you get sold isn't, isn't providing more value than remote access. I mean, I feel like that's a common perception of what the RMM is. Yes, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And even the conclusion is true to a certain extent. If you don't have somebody that knows how to wrangle the tool and um, bring all of its bells and whistles out, you won't get the most out of it. But I would actually take that a step further and encourage you to make everyone in the business familiar with what the tool is capable of. Because your help desk, your project engineers, your service team, your NOC, everybody in your business should be familiar with what's possible 
because that otherwise they wouldn't know to do it and you wouldn't save that time. It's, um, for instance, uh, pushing out uh, Windows 10 over Windows 7 machines because it's going out of support. Um, several MSBs I've worked with didn't realize that was something that could be automated. So they were selling their clients projects and they were doing it by hand. And then, you know, they talk to us, we give them a script to do it. And then all of a sudden they sell the same project, but they do it in 30 minutes instead. And that's significantly better than, you know, the previous approach, which was doing it by hand. So one aspect of using an RMM is ensuring your team is familiar with what it's capable of. And if you don't have that expertise in-house, recognize that you need to invest some time, energy, and effort into gaining that expertise. Because um, yeah, that, your competitors yeah, that do it will beat you if you don't. No, fair enough. It's the same issue that comes up with the PSA, right? It's too big. You don't have enough time. It wasn't implemented properly to begin with. And then all of a sudden, you're three years down the line, you barely got it off of just creating tickets. And now you're wondering if it's too big. Um, consult, you know, like, and, and listen, we can all make our, our complaints and, and put our issues on the table about the onboarding experience from all of these, you know, entities, right. Um, which tend to not be great at times. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I think part of the problem is, is it's time, right. You know, like everybody thinks that, you know, they're going to put the time in themselves to get it done. And then they're, they're so busy on the day to day, they never get it up and running, to the point where it's actually helping them. But let me pivot for a second. Like, what is your opinion on the people who are really taking Microsoft Intune seriously, for example, as maybe it's an RMM replacement? Do you see that from your angle? How much Intune are you up to date with? I believe that Microsoft is pushing into the space with Intune. And I believe um, we're gonna have to keep a very close eye onto um, how Intune can serve your clients versus how an RMM can as well. There are certain RMMs that are lower feature set, but lower complexity, so they're easier to get into. Um, Microsoft Intune, I can't speak to its simplicity, but if it's at all like its predecessor, SCCM, it's a nightmare to use. Like many of the other RMM products, the higher the complexity, the more powerful the product, the harder it is to use, and ultimately the more time, energy, and effort you use to get it off the ground. But once it's off the ground, and once it's purring, and once you have a routine, it goes pretty well. So I think Intune is definitely something to keep an eye out for with the way Microsoft is behaving in, in the space, for sure. So, so let me ask you a question then. So for like, I think everybody in IT services is touching Office 365 somewhere, even if it's simple as just email, right? How did, like, you know, I know PowerShell, you know, some people find it fantastic. Some people look at it and are like, why is this just an UI? Why am I doing this? Where does 365 and the RMM intersect? And what exactly are the possibilities? Because I think that people think that that's just way overcomplicated. I think um, just like anything, else in technology, our industry shifts. And I think we're going to be shifting over to have more API developer type people as part of our core team. Because now, um, like Office 365 and many of the newer cloud-based solutions that are out there, you interact with them via over APIs now. So I think that's going to become a more prevalent and mainstream portion 
of technology, whereas it used to be, you know, help desk, it's now going to start to shift towards integration and stuff like that. So Office 365, many players um, like ConnectWise jumped into the space with Cloud Console and some other products. Some do it with PowerShell. We've written many scripts that, um, you know, authenticate to Azure or Office 365 and then do some other things there. And it's just that's one area of um, managed services right now is ensuring that you can manage the your your client's cloud solutions uh, and uh office 365 is going to be a big long-term player i expect <laughs> so okay it's fair, one of those fair enough. like so a lot of people say that when they're deploying uh, machines in google amazon azure um they're still installing the rmm agent on the device because even though the underlying architecture from a spin-up standpoint is quasi-automated ongoing management still quite isn't there just out of the box do you agree with that and what what do you see people using the rmm for in concert with that you know virtualization in the cloud standpoint oh man that is a great question and it's an evolving one based on what we're seeing in the space right now. Um, the, where I see RMM is, it's kind of like the front layer for accessing the user's experience. So you're accessing their VDI, so you can see their experience using an RMM, and you can help influence and control that experience, even with certain um, self-service tools and other things that you can deploy with an RMM. Now, as far as, the interaction with Office 365, um, things that some MSPs will do is deploy the components that ensure the Office 365 applications are working on the machine and that the account isn't having problems and that the user is able to sign in and that network connectivity is there and all the other things that the user needs to be able to get to those cloud services. Whereas there's other integrations and products used to manage the cloud services themselves. They're outside of the RMM today. Um, and I think that will continue to follow that trend where it'll predominantly be integration products for managing uh, cloud services and things like that. You can use PowerShell, but again, it's, you know, uh, a toolbox that's not pre-built, so to speak. No, fair enough. So you don't see the RMM uh, growing to encompass, you know, managing the the cloud front stuff or you know you feel like that's a completely separate line you know kind of application that's kind of counter to what the rmm does today so i sense that there will be monitoring modules and management modules added to rmms for cloud servicing including office 365. i um imagine as we move away from Windows desktops and have more virtualized things that the front end management agent will continue to get smaller, whereas the integration services with those cloud providers will continue to expand. And I would expect it would just be based on, you know, similar to what uh, with iPhone, how every single app that goes into their store is completely approved and controlled. And it's a very specific type environment. I feel like Microsoft is pushing that way with Intune where they're trying to get a very precise exact experience. So they followed another model comparatively to their older approach. Fair enough. I'm going to pivot again. I, I got a lot of things I'm thinking about here. So um, it, I don't have to go very far back in the news cycle to see that 
MSPs themselves are being targeted by the bad guys, right? And as a result, their remote access tools, their RMM systems are now, you know, really the things being chipped away at in order to gain access to all customers behind. What is your, you know, what is your feeling on that, right? Is there like, how hard is it to secure these environments? Like, I think everybody thought they were already secured and then bad things started happening. So I'd really like to take your opinion on that. Oh man, another evolving area. And this is, you know, the security versus function versus um, the fact that those that are defending themselves are defending themselves against malicious actors that are familiar with the technologies they're using. Um, the white hats are at a disadvantage in this particular scenario, unfortunately. And it's because we're the ones being targeted. Managed services companies, especially, I mean, there is some things that every MSB needs to be doing, multi-factor on everything, restricting um, IP access to your core tools like control and automate. And there isn't um, necessarily documented ways of doing that or accomplishing that, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. So even though um, it's not being widely done now, we're gonna see more and more of that and more and more individuals drafting instructions on how to harden your environment. Because reducing access, reducing permissions and um, segregating um, how you manage your clients um, between different systems can help reduce the risk. Because once, you know, your RMM or your, any of your RMM tools is compromised, they can ransom you and pretty much everybody else um, that you manage, which is a nightmare. So you also have to make sure backups are everywhere and it's just never a good thing. Yeah, so, so I've heard of some people, and this may be interesting to take your opinion on, I've heard of some people trying to put like, uh, like a, a cloud front or a DNS kind of man in the middle in between the outside internet and like a Cloudflare type deployment, but in between their RMM and, and the, the real world. Is that viable or, or is there better, you know, situations to put in place there? I think that's a viable approach. And I, even though it's, I, I believe a lot of the RMM products are now architecting to be more secure. So we're going to be seeing changes. And right now we're in a space where people are going to be implementing workarounds to accomplish these security goals. But once those workarounds are in place, ConnectWise and the other larger companies that have these products where workarounds are being used to secure them, they're going to have to respond and adjust things so that it's done in core and it's more native and the a product as a whole is more secure. But again, they're responding to um, the malicious actors just as the managed services companies are. So it's just about, um, for instance, um, we work with lots of different MSPs and they take a different approach to certain things. Um, with one of the more recent vulnerabilities in the ConnectWise space, it could circumvent uh, multi-factor authentication and they could access um, details and do SQL injection and some other things that were scary. That was a scenario we were like, no, you have to patch immediately. There's not really a debate on this because you could be ransomed tomorrow if the right malicious actor or the wrong malicious actor discovered the existence of your server. So it's just about being proactive and responding quickly. And um, occasionally, if you have a rigid test protocol, when there's an active exploit like a zero day, get those out immediately, like the DNS vulnerability that was rated as a 10 and CVSS um, score land. 
yes, that's something that you should respond to immediately. I, we've worked with many MSPs that are like, nah, we want to test it first. And I'm like, well, sure, let's test it for a few minutes, make sure it's good, and then let's get it to everybody else. <laughs> it's like, um, trust me, it's much worse if it's abused. And from a court's perspective, they will hold you accountable most likely, regardless of your agreement. So, because you're responsible for that particular business's technology. So, no, fair so enough. I mean, we had we had Brad Gross on a few times. Probably have him on again because you know as things are changing, all these various things like it has to get tested in a court system, right? And then all of a sudden the rules change. Yeah. Um, what's your like, like? So so pivoting again from a security standpoint, security is a wide conversation, and yes. it just I feel like it's an it's like hey, I'm in IT. What does that mean, right? Like that's a huge wide canvas. So I'm curious to understand what are the common things that at the RMM level you can do to do hardened security for your end customer? What are like the top three, four things that, you know, that seem to be automated via the RMM? So there's features like SMB V1 and some other things that are known to be less secure. You could begin to um, create a canvas of security policies to disable things that clients may not need that have vulnerabilities. And that could, in your RMM, be basically a chain of scripts that you've developed that could end up being used to secure environments. But what most people do with RMMs is, you know, they ensure Microsoft patches are deployed and all the security updates are applied and third-party products like Java and Adobe Reader and Adobe Flash are also patched as well. Um, that's a good layer. You also can make sure your antivirus is working and that it's deployed and it's up to date and things like that as well. Um, but that's high level surface layer, but others will deploy like an open DNS client or other security tools to their clients as well. Others ensure like RDP is turned off on everything. So they monitor for open and, and accessible RDP connection, um, RDP accessibility to machines. Others will take um, as Microsoft releases security bulletins and they are like, we don't have a patch for this, but here's a workaround. They'll write a script to apply that workaround, deploy that workaround out to all of their endpoints so that that particular vulnerability that is now known to the world doesn't affect their client base. So there's a certain degree of proactiveness that goes into maintaining security. And an RMM makes it much, much, much easier because pushing out a mass registry change to everything across, you know, 45 customers, if you had to do it with group policy or something like that, is, isn't reasonable. Something in an RMM, you could be done in literally 10, 15 minutes. And you could have it rerun that registry change at a relatively frequent basis just to ensure you get complete saturation across your client base or use and automate no, anyway. You can log that it was done correctly and then log when it wasn't done, so. No, to, I mean, reporting is a big thing, right? Especially with compliance-based stuff like HIPAA, hey, encryption, yeah, but you need to report that the encryption was on, right? So 100%. Yes, exactly. So, so while we're on the topic of RDP ports, which is a very reoccurring topic, <laughs> uh, Eric chimes in here and says, Josh, you mentioned opened RDP ports. What is your opinion on terminal services gateways? We would usually exclude terminal service gateways from it, and some of our clients will use VPNs with their users to be able to access the terminal services gateway, so it's not available from the web, but I don't know if that's a, a realistic or reasonable um, option for all businesses. But in general, leaving anything open to the web and RDP open, brute force is a problem. So in general, maybe look at alternatives 
for the end user that can be multi-factor protected and uh, um, some things like that I would recommend. <laughs> so, let's, so let's speak about multi-factor. Um, you know, obviously you you mentioned earlier multi-factor for the users of the tools, right? Your PSA, your RMM, your remote access. Got it. What about multi-factor at the client level? What are the top two or three, you know, vehicles that people are using to get that done? Duo is a big one. Um, I've seen off Anvil used as well. Um, Google Authenticator is out there, but it's not really mainstream in the managed services space, except for on our tools and our technicians' accounts. I think it's just because many of us use um, Android devices that Google Authenticator became prevalent. Um, but as far as the what people are pushing to their end users, I'm not seeing them push Google. I'm seeing them push, again, Microsoft Authenticator, Off Anvil, or Duo. And Duo seems to be the biggest in the ConnectWise space right now and definitely one worth reviewing and investigating. We have a lot of clients that swear by it, love it, enjoy its logging and the ability to revoke access across things across and to be able to sync multiple accounts to an individual user. It's, it's a really um, great product I would recommend, would be Duo. Oh, good, good. Integrates with loads. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so let's, let's go to the big hairy one that's totally unavoidable. Is patch management real with Windows 10? It seems like it's not. It's, I feel like Microsoft's kind of just decided, hey, we're going to tell you what's going to happen. We're going to put on you. Tough. Deal with it. Is that the reality or am I missing something? It changed a lot. And I can start um, high level. Um, so previously, like in Windows 7 days, they weren't doing cumulative roll-ups on a monthly basis. So now what happens is they have a new patch that supersedes the former update. So essentially with patching Windows 10, you can make it so Microsoft doesn't push updates automatically to it to a certain extent. There is one edge case in there and it's the major feature releases. So if you're too far behind a major feature release, Microsoft will go all honey badger and push it whenever they want. So you can put up to a one year deferment period where you'll say, Microsoft, don't do this for at least a year. But then in that period of time, your team has to proactively update that machine before it automatically does it to the user at 9 a.m. before a critical meeting. And they're yelling at you, like, why are you patching me? We didn't do it, Microsoft did it. They, the end user doesn't care. <laughs> it's, but the reality is you could have prevented it by proactively updating them to a more recent version. And right now, 1909 is a pretty good release for Windows 10. Um, so there is like the Windows Update Orchestrator that will occasionally push updates, but Microsoft is taking a very Apple position on these things. But today, you can still prevent patching in all cases but the one that I, prevent, I shared a moment ago, and you can push updates when you want. But with Windows 10, okay. the biggest trick is just making sure you patch at least once a month on that workstation. And daytime patching is not as invasive as it used to be. The concept of patching um, windows during the day used to cause machines to floor and hang. That doesn't really happen anymore unless you're doing one of those major feature updates, which should be done during the evening. The other updates, they can happen kind of in the background, and then it'll prompt the user saying, hey, to uh, apply these security updates, we got to reboot. So they might see that. So, And maintaining reboots is another important thing. You don't reboot, it won't patch again. So keep that in mind. Yeah, reboot management has always been fickle, um, for sure, because every, you know, everybody has a different opinion on it, I feel. Um, well, 
you said one word in there. I, I can't help but bring it up. Apple. Is it even, is, is, has it gotten any better, right? I mean, managing of iOS devices versus OS X devices versus iPads, which are part of the, you know, it's like two different operating systems. Like, has this gotten any more reasonable or is it still kind of fiction? Not in the um, managed services RMM space. This hasn't really gotten any better. There is an iOS um, RMM. I don't remember its name, but it's, it's, it's probably expensive. It's an Apple product, I expect, and it's mainstream. I will hunt that down and share it with you. <laughs> I don't recall which uh, one it is, but there is one that's mainstream that is specific I, I, to Apple I think products. Adagy comes to mind. Yeah. yeah, that might be it. Yeah. I'm not an Apple guy uh, at all. <laughs> do you, My kids, I mean, I mean, you still, yeah, no, I'm with you. Do you still see a mix? Is it still 85% Windows, 15% Apple or like across the base or how are you seeing that percentage? I see that about, about a, uh, probably 90-10 is what I see. 90% Windows, 10% Apple. And I, it, that might also be the fact that, uh, People don't deploy ConnectWise automate agents to Apple's very often. So it might be that I'm just not seeing all of them because I'm only seeing the raw data um, on after they've done deployments. So it's possible there's more and it's just they're not being managed by ConnectWise automate in the scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So specifically on automate, obviously there's other RMMs out there. I mean, there's always been the debate, hey, cloud first versus, you know, VM based or whatever. Um, there's definitely been a, you know, I'm going to key in specifically on this cause you know, you brought it up, you know, there's a debate now, right. Whether with the, the merging of continuum and ConnectWise, whether the ConnectWise formerly lab tech now called automate product is going to go away in favor of the continuum flavoring. Are you hearing this? Is there any teeth to this noise? You know, um, LT Ninja is pretty connected with the ConnectWise community. So we often do hear rumors and we often hear their current plans, but with any large organization, as they begin to dig into an idea or concept, they often realize that their original assumption with it was off. So I believe that there was some teeth to the claim that they were going to um, shift to Continuum and to use Continuum's back end, but port over all of the beautiful functionality that Automate has. Because Automate is a much more powerful RMM than Continuum is, but harder to use. Continuum significantly easier. I've been blessed to use probably all but one of the RMMs. And I, so I'm going to use that last one, but I've been told it's super simple, so I'm less interested in it. Um, but I won't insult them here. <laughs> okay, um, fair enough. So, so it sounds like for the foreseeable future, the Automate formerly LabTech product line is not going anywhere then, from your opinion. I don't expect it will. I think a lot of the core functionality may get migrated to a new backend agent, and I expect it'll be a one to two year process for that. And that could be, that could be good, ultimately upgrading the core agent as long as they maintain the the functionality that goes with it. If, um, but the only thing that leaves me concerned as a third party about them try talking about how they want to improve is if they make assumptions on what people are using and where they get the most value and those assumptions are wrong. If they're assuming, oh, everybody loves this because of this, and then it, and that's not an incorrect, incorrect assumption uh, that could end poorly for 
um, there are partners that are gaining a lot of benefit from the product functionality that they decided wasn't important. Fair, fair. So let me ask you a question then, since we're on the topic of automate and then we'll bridge back out wider. There's been this, like, what is the breaking point to, from a scale standpoint with this particular RMM, right? Like once you get to 25,000 devices under management, I like, does it, I feel like it's a lot harder to keep this thing running. Am I wrong? Or like, what is that? You're wrong. Like? You're absolutely okay. right. It's, um, it's scale has been a challenge for the ConnectWise Automate RMM for quite some time. Um, I know that they've made major strides over the years. And a lot of the environments we have under management now, um, 5,000 plus endpoints have no problems. Whereas, you know, if you were to look six, seven years ago, there's a lot of stability issues. Doesn't mean there isn't occasional problems, but in general, managing uh, a database application with 20,000 endpoints feeding information into it is going to experience more problems than an environment feeding 500. It's uh, the scale of it and, you know, the table sizes grow, the queries take longer, and the resources you need to um, address that quantity of endpoints becomes greater as well. But with that, you also have to be more careful and cautious with your automation. And this is going to be true at scale no matter what, um, pretty much with any RMM performance aside, is that um, when you're running a script against, you know, 15 machines, if you haven't tested the script, that might not be too disastrous, but if you run it against 2,000 machines or 20,000 machines, it could end up becoming disastrous. So all of a sudden securing your RMM, locking down permissions, reducing access becomes a lot more important as you get bigger. The bigger you are, the bigger the risk there is that automation can go awry. And almost every RMM has the capability of deploying automation. So you got to be more careful at size just because if you can run against everything, it'll happen. And someone may run a reboot script or a shutdown script in the middle of the day on everything. That happens. And um, it's not a good day, but it does happen. What is your opinion on the uh, marketplace and sharing of, you know, of, of scripts and samples and stuff, right? I mean, I think MSP space uh, saying it earlier in this you know, meeting, there's just, they don't have the competency uh, in house. A lot of the times there's no DevOps guy. There's no scripting guy. You know, you largely have techs that are on the front line that are tweaking things as they go along. You know, do you see a lot of sharing and collaboration of backend scripting? And do you recommend that? Is that a security concern? And you're like, how, what is your rec, you know, best recommendation when you're doing that type of stuff? There's always going to be a security concern with any time you adopt content from any third party. So even things you get from LT Ninja or that LT Ninja is posted, you should review and dig through just to make sure nothing else was added in that was unexpected. Testing scripts and testing automation is major. Now, I am a massive proponent of sharing and working together and collaborating. It's... um. The automate and connectwise community can be significantly more powerful the more things that are shared. It's, um, for instance, we have the MSP Geek community, and there things like the Windows 7 to Windows 10 upgrade script exists. MSPs that don't have the in-house development can always go there, but of course they have to be more careful with testing and reviewing the automation they import into their environment because they don't want anything unexpected to take place. Um, because if I was a malicious actor, I could go submit some, some bogus scripts on that site that say they do some really cool things and just wait for people to import them. 
not recommending that approach, but that's why you always review um, what you've imported. You always test it. You always check each line. It's just part of the process. Um, but I do recommend sharing despite that risk. So you can be prudent and careful, but still share and still take advantage of the learning that other MSPs have had, luckily. How do you solve that problem where you can never get 100% of something, meaning like there's all the laptops, there's the mobile people, they're always like coronavirus aside, right? Let's, let's like erase that for a second and be a normal time, right? Like you never get to 100%. It's, a, it's, it's like a unicorn. You never get to catch it. What's the percentage and how do you get that number any higher than what it is? Are you talking patch compliance score or like the success rate of an automation? Or both. <laughs> I mean, both, yeah. right? Because I yeah. never see a 100% patch. I, I just, it never gets there. Yeah, it's, um, and the compliance score, at least, uh, I'll talk to patch compliance first, and then I'll talk to automation. Because I like this conversation, because our team doesn't push for 100%. We push for 98% as a maximum, because automation will never be perfect. If you got it to work, uh, a deployment to work on 98 out of 100 machines, Manually fix the last two. Take care of those manually because the time it will take to fix the script to accommodate for those two small edge cases will likely exceed the time it would take to just fix it by hand. So now keep in mind, if you are planning on doing this project 30 times over the year, maybe go ahead and fix those two because that'll be two times 30. You're doing this over and over again. So in that scenario, take the time to try and get it to 100%. Figure those two edge cases out, learn them, address them, test it, and then confirm that is essentially what you'll do. Now, patch compliance um, is a little bit different. So with the way compliance score is calculated, you have um, the July security roll-up and the July uh, .NET framework roll-up uh, security update approved for deployment for July. You patch the machine, it has all the way, it's a Windows 10 machine, it has 100% of everything deployed. August comes around and it has a .NET framework rollout and a security rollup, again, that supersedes the former .NET rollup and the former security rollup. So you go from four of four deployed to two of four deployed, not two of six, or not four of six, you go to two of four. So your compliance score goes from 100% to 50% overnight. That's a hard, pill for clients to swallow because it's, it's a hard um, thing. So but what we've done for our partners to help address that is we changed the patch compliance report and it has a last completely compliant date in the report so that it shows the last date it was 100% compliant. And they say compliance fluctuates as Microsoft releases new security patches. And then it's just at the top of the report and it addresses that concern and they still get to report on the fact that they're doing good patching for them. We've made other adjustments to the report to make it better, but in general, that's um, one of the major ones we've made. And I recommend that adjustment to many. <laughs> well, fair enough. I mean, I was about to say reporting has been a constant complaint point. I, I feel with the RMM, right? Like, you as the MSP are trying to present documentation to your customer to like reinforce the fact that you're doing something for them. Right. Cause like it's that yes. age old, Hey, if I never hear from you, what am I paying you for? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I worked really hard to make your environment clean. Right. Like, yep. so like, 
I, and I feel like because of the different data points, right? There's stuff in the PSA. There's stuff in the RMM. There's stuff in Office 365 compliance. There's stuff, you know, on on the uh, DNS filtering. Like, I feel like collecting all of this has always been a challenge and making it pretty enough and understandable enough that, like, my decision maker, who's not a techie, just wants his stuff to work, looks at it and says, yeah, we're good. How do we get there? That is very very tricky thing and it's it's multi-pronged because it's such a an important area of the business so what we like to do um from an automate connect wise um in the automate connect wise world is we will have all of the automation we have running in the environment from we enabled bitlocker and uh encrypted a machine we did a disk cleanup on a machine that was low on disk space we did a defrag on a fragmented drive we restarted a crashed Windows service. We deployed some Windows updates. We deployed some third-party patches. We deployed some applications. We upgraded some Windows machines. We did all this stuff. We like to create tracking tickets that sync over into ConnectWise Manage, and they automatically close on a tracking board there. They're classified by type, subtype, and item, the type being the major type of maintenance and the subtype being the specific type of action that was taken from an automated repair, from proactive maintenance to, you know, just a an auto fix to try to help the clients to disk maintenance, windows maintenance, windows patching. And then we can do the type subtype and item report directly out of ConnectWise, filtered to that service board and by client. And then they can issue that particular report to their clients and then they get to see, oh, 47 disk cleanups, 48 um, service restarts, 380 patches. And they basically get to see all of the things that the MSP is doing in the background that they didn't actually spend any time doing, but that's not important to that particular discussion. The reality is they're like, why am I paying you? This is why we're awesome. And, and that's the point, so. No, fair enough. So, you know, kind of catty corner to this conversation is alert fatigue, right? You plug it in, you turn on the switch, 10,824 tickets later, you're like, I can't, I can't follow this now. It's way, I don't have enough time to, to filter through. So like, obviously part of the whole idea of managed services is some sort of proactiveness. And we've all gotten the phone call. I mean, with the customer saying, I'm down. Why don't you know that? Right. I mean, it happens all the time. So how do you make like, and then what happens is I hear MSP saying, F this, leave the, the RMM over here. I'm going to go do like a, a ping type online thing. And they start like, what, yeah, like the apps start exploding. Right. So like, how do you get this so that the alerting that comes out of this is, you know, real. And so people can react off of stuff that counts. I think you touched on this earlier indirectly as well. Like why people don't get, the value out of their RMM. And it's because the RMM is massive. It's this big, big thing, and they can focus in 150 different areas that would be of value to them. But because there's so many different spots, it overwhelms them and they do absolutely nothing. Alert fatigue nothing. is the very same circumstance. So what my team encourages and the processes that we follow is that we have a laser focus on a small piece of the service map at a time. It's like, hey, you're patching, it's, it's screwed up. Let's get that under control. Let's get your compliance scores up. Let's make sure your clients are secured. And then we'll move on to your massive volume of alerts that you're ignoring and we'll get those under control. 
Instead of trying to tackle the whole big picture at once, it's about having laser focus in a few priorities at a time. If you have, um, you get an, R, an automate admin in your business and you tell them, I just need you to make it work. That is going to overwhelm them. They will spin their gears in every small area of the product and they will ultimately fail. And it, I won't, it's not their fault. It was a hard task, but oftentimes they lose their jobs for that. I hear of it all the time. And it's because RMM stuff is difficult. But if you slow down, calm down, laser focus, it's not so bad. And you make iterative, meaningful progress in your business and in your service quality. And alert fatigue, albeit a thing, if you take laser focus when you do a review, and I'll give you a real world example. So we will have critical alerts land on the dispatch triage or help desk board, wherever the MSP is most working so that they don't miss critical things, offline servers, hardware failure, critically low disk space, things like that. They have to see it immediately. So I throw those tickets where they have the most eyes. Then everything that's actionable, I throw somewhere else. And these are actionable alerts, but they're not critical. But the emphasis is on actionable. There should never be an informational alert on that board, ever. If the problem is the moment you have one false positive or one informational alert or it's so cluttered, your team will ignore it. They will not trust anything there. So it, the process review that you go through on that actionable queue is we've identified eight or nine monitors that we don't like, that don't add value to our business and then get in our way. Turn them off. They're getting in your way. It's causing you to ignore the whole product and that's not helping you. Focus, turn that off for now. You can re-enable it down the road when after you're using the service boards correctly and your team's using it. Get to that point first and then you can worry about the bells and whistles and cool stuff. It'll come. So, so have you gotten it to the point, have, have anybody that you're working with gotten it to the point where you're getting alerts that the internet connection at XYZ customer site is down within X minutes, like, or the server hasn't checked in and said, like, have you been able to get that to the point where their people are actually seeing that in, in real time? Oh yeah, absolutely. Everyone we onboard gets to that point. Um, we have a very specific process that it's done in 45 days. We get patching and monitoring and alerting all done in that period of time. But again, it's because we laser focus on a small area and we just go from small area to small area until it's done. And it's a guided approach is what we usually do. And any MSV can take that approach, but it's just, again, about focusing in on the smaller yeah, areas. Yeah. So, so is there any size MSP where the RMM is just too big for them? Meaning like, you know, you see a lot of small guys, sub five users, you see a lot of 25 and above, like, is there a sweet spot and is there a too small and is there a too big? Like I just trying to get an idea for where people hit either floors or ceilings. Hmm. That's a good question. And um, I work with MSPs from one man shops up to hundred employees and they're using the same RMM. And um, I would say even my smaller guys do some things better than the bigger guys. And the bigger guys do some things better than the smaller guys. So they're mature in different ways. And the RMM and how you use the RMM, um, regardless of size, depends on how much you invest in it. And the smaller guys, like, for instance, if somebody was to come to me 
and be like, I need to start a managed services business and I need to be profitable in four weeks. I have two clients lined up already. If they came to me and said, and said that, I wouldn't be recommending ConnectWise in that particular scenario. I would be pushing them towards one of the entry-level RMMs like uh, Aterra, as an example, or Ninja. And it's because Aterra and Ninja are super simple. And right now, they're at a stage in their business where they need to be focused on growth and customer acquisition, not necessarily service maturity. Because again, they only have two customers. They're too small to really be focused on because they can already provide that relationship almost immediate response time to the businesses that we're working with because they're small. They can respond differently and they should take advantage of the um, distinctive advantages they have at their size comparatively to the bigger guys. The bigger guys couldn't get away with using a Terra or a simple RMM because it's at their size, they wouldn't get much out of it. It's just easy. There would be no automation potential, unfortunately. And I'm not insulting a Terra in those that use it. It's a good RMM. But again, I would only recommend that for smaller folks that are just getting started. And once you've gotten started and you have a customer base, then I would recommend shifting to one of the more mature RMMs like Automate, Datto, or Enable, or Kaseya. Um, I would go to one of those. And they're all good. And they're all good in their own way. It's just, um, again, it's about it. investment. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. How much so here's a, here, here's a here's a very targeted, interesting use case. Ready? Um, I use we well, use automate since we're talking about it. I use Connectwise Automate, formerly Lapday, and I somehow overlap with the vendor or another MSP who also uses the same RMM. Is it realistically possible to have two agents from two separate companies on the same endpoint? Yes. Absolutely. It's not an out-of-box supported feature or function, but um, MSPs like, I mean, I automate consultants like us do that on a regular basis. We have an automate server of our own and we have automate agents on some of our client servers and we monitor automate with automate and it works quite well. And it's been done by ConnectWise in their cloud for a very long time, but I don't think they've published, you know, how to do it, but it is possible. So yes, you can do it. Um, okay. So for all the doubters out there, it's possible, um, but not supported, but possible. Uh, yes. Okay. So as we're coming into the home stretch, what are the top two, three, four things that you've been super impressed, like recently, right? Last six to 12 months, super impressed to see the RMM do that most people would think it's not capable of. Hmm. That we've made it do? Or <laughs> that it just uh, you, doesn't, anyone, doesn't matter to me. I'm opening, the, I'm opening the horizon here. So one thing that we've built recently that I'm proud of, that I'm excited we're able to do is, um, We've built automation that scans uh, a client's Active Directory domain for computers that have authenticated to that domain in the last period of time. We took that list and compared it to the deployment in Automate to establish a um, gap analysis on the deployment and generate a report. And the reason we did this is because an unmanaged asset could be missing AV, maybe unpatched, could have like VNC server running open on it, that's problematic. All of these things uh, are better if you manage them and you have an agent on them because you can become aware of them. So 
we created that audit as a means of identifying and locating machines that for whatever reason didn't have an automated agent and uh, couldn't be managed. So that's one cool thing you can, you know, scan an environment to find machines that you don't have under management and some, some MSPs charge per endpoint. So that could even make the money by finding, um, you know, assets that they didn't realize were there. Oh, that's a good one. I assume that that gets a little bit tricky with the, all the people working from home right now though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is there, a, is there a <laughs> Azure active directory version of this script? I don't know. Like how do you, how do you figure out this disconnected, disjointed devices, like not all centralized problem? Oh man, that's a that's another discussion and a lengthy one at that. But we're actually working on doing it for Azure um, domains as well. So we'll have it working, um, hopefully. Again, it's when things are disconnected from the domain, um, occasionally it doesn't update Azure the proper way. Um, there's, a, there's some nuances with it, but it's something we're working on. Um, and I hope we have it done before the end of this year because we want to tackle Azure as well. What are the top one or two add-ons to the RMM that just super immediate visibility, right? Just starts helping you right away. Third wall. I like third wall. <laughs> it's a plug-in on the automate side. Um, so I would do third wall is a good solution. And, um, as far as another add-on on an RMM that I would get right away, that's the one I like. Um, as far as another solution I'd recommend would be Lifecycle Insights, which is a VCIO ConnectWise Manage integration. It helps do QBRs in a, a meaningful way that makes you money and keeps your clients confident you're doing an awesome job. Cool, no, that's good advice. So, uh... If you were to give, like, this is like my parting thoughts here. If you were to give any MSP, like your top tip going into the rest of the year, right? You know, with everything that's going on, what would you say they should do? Is it a service delivery thing? It is a, you know, business, you know, uh, you know, operational maturity thing. What's, what's your top tip? My top tip for any MSP that wants to be competitive and to continue to improve is to start learning from your frontline, your scouts, so to speak, your project engineers, your help desk, your knock, your service team. They're your frontline. They see the problems that your clients are experiencing. They're the ones that will give you the, the, the ideas that will make you more competitive. Take advantage of what they, um, what they see and the problems they experience and ensure they understand that, um, one weird example, um, Help desk person gets a call um, and users having problems on their machine. He finds one of the temporary directories that filled up on the machine and hard drive space was full. And that was the reason they were having a problem in that scenario. If it was whatever directory was there, if they learned it was safe to clear, add that to the disk cleanup routine and automation so that none of their other users or any of their future clients have that problem again. So they take a problem. They're like, Oh, I could prevent that from anybody having that problem again. And then they, write automation and add it to their core service offering. And then that problem is prevented in the future for all future clients and current clients they have. And that example applies to many more things than just this cleanup. It could be a, a rogue registry setting that screws with office and makes it so you can't open X or Y product, get automation that scans for that registry key. If it sees it, have, to have it remove it or change it to the appropriate value. 
It's all of those opportunities. Every time your client has a problem, that's a learning opportunity and your team can bring that to you. And that's where you'll gain a lot of um, the automation, just like the virtual box circumstance. They're compromised by virtual box. They learned from it and then prevented it for all of their other clients. The more you do that, the better you will be and the happier your team will be actually. It's because they won't be spending a lot of time doing medial things. They'll be building out things that just make your offering better, more efficient, and more competitive. No, that's, that's really good advice, actually. Um, how do people find you, Josh? Where do they find you online? Um, our biggest channel has been LinkedIn, um, but we've been pushing a little bit more into Facebook marketing. Um, occasionally, we're active on MSP Geek. Um, of late, there's uh, been a lot of negativity there, so my team avoids it, and it's just because of the security stuff. Um, so there's a lot of things to be excited about and happy about and things that you can do with technology that it's like security vulnerabilities are going to keep coming up. They're, we should just be glad that they're getting addressed because, unfortunately, the malicious actors, they have our tool set in front of them. They have every AV in front of them. All they have to do is figure out a way for it to work with what they, what's in front of them. We don't have the same luxury. So it's a disadvantage. So that's why we have to be proactive with permissions and learning as we go, because that'll give us the best opportunity to protect as many of the businesses that we work with. No, fair enough. So definitely look for Josh online, LinkedIn, Facebook. If anybody doesn't realize MSP Geek is a online Slack community as well as a, a forum online as well, if you Google it. Uh, but uh, definitely look up CW Ninja. I think you're going to find um, another resource out there in the world that may be able to help you turn some screws and you know simplify your world instead of like you know the 10,847 alerts that you know nobody pays attention to. <laughs> Thanks for jumping on, Josh. Thanks everybody for watching. Again, MSP Initiative. This session was recorded. We'll be online like very shortly, and with the rest of the videos that we've done. And then again, keep keep on you know Tuesdays and Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time. To come right back here and we'll continue the series as we go along. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Josh.